Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Vance. Andrew is the Vice President of Communications and a member of the Executive Management Team at Strava, the social platform at the center of Connected Fitness, with over 95 million users in 195 countries. He's also the creator of Choose the Hard Way, a podcast about peak performance and the obstacles people overcome to do great things. Previously, he was the head of content at TRX, the human performance company, where he oversaw editorial, brand, sales, social, and educational content. Andrew spent the first decade of his career as a freelance journalist. His features, interviews, and profiles about people, places, and things at the limits of human experience appeared in Rolling Stone, Slate, Outside, the LA Times, Velo News, and many other outlets. Andrew grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and earned a BA in communication summa cum laude from the University of Missouri, Columbia, then completed his MFA in creative writing at the California Institute of the Arts, where he focused on fiction. He remains active in the Kansas City community as an advisor to BIPOC and women entrepreneurs in the Next Stage KC Alternative MBA program. He also works with A Second U Foundation, an organization dedicated to helping formerly incarcerated people start wellness businesses. A very amateur cyclist, he has twice placed second at the 100-mile unbound gravel half-pint race. Andrew. Brian. Thanks for being with me, man. All right, so what is Strava? Can you tell us a little bit about the product for those that aren't familiar? Yeah, so Strava is a social platform for athletes and we connect connected fitness. We have over 93 million athletes and 195 countries on our platform. And we believe that people keep people active. Community is really at the core of Strava. That's, as you know, you're someone who's active. You have friends who are active. And I know that you use Strava. And like that's part of the magic is being able to motivate and inspire your friends, your family, your community through the activity that you're going out and doing. So we say that if you sweat, you're an athlete. So if you're out, you're active, whether you're going out and walking or hiking, or whether you're an elite athlete racing at the Tour de France or in the Olympics, a runner, a cyclist, or any of 30 other sports, Strava is the place for you. And we really believe that humans were born to move. And as I said, Strava connects connected fitness. And what that means is we support over 400 devices, pieces of hardware and experiences. We cover indoor, outdoor training, sleep and recovery. And really Strava is for every phase of an athlete's day in life, whether they're recovered, injured, young or old. So whether you have an Apple watch, you ride a Peloton, use a Garmin, or you track your sleep and recovery on Whoop, it all integrates with Strava. You can share it in a feed so that you can record and memorialize your activities and share them with your friends and family. And as far as the business side of Strava, subscription is at the core of our business. We have a freemium business model. And what a subscription does is it uplevels an athlete's ability to find routes, analyze performance, and compete and connect with the community. So that's who we are and that's what we do. That answer is a relief to me because as I sit here interviewing you in a sweat, I'm happy to know that I'm actually an athlete as I sweat through this interview. So thank you, <laughs> Andrew, for that. So the stories that you might tell about athletes using Strava is different than how ESPN might tell their athlete stories. I know that you're a believer in defining a foundational narrative for storytelling. What do you mean by this? And how does this get lived out in your work at Strava? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, I'm the vice president of communications at Strava, and I oversee media relations, public relations, internal communications, and I work with our GC on policy and crisis management. And 
really, when we think about the kinds of stories that are Strava stories and how we tell them, it's really thinking about the unique elements that we can add to the stories of what's happening within the world of sport. Strava is really the record of the world's activities. And what you can see from Strava activities, like say with professional athletes at the Tour de France or people who are going out and running the Boston Marathon, for example, where 51% of athletes who ran the Boston Marathon this year shared their activities on Strava. So athletes use Strava to tell their own stories. So it's really a storytelling platform for everyone who's on Strava. And in terms of the work that we do with media, a lot of what we see is members of the media going out, taking a look at what professional athletes are doing and being able to tell really the story of the effort of what is happening in a very unique way that you can't do through any other platform. So you can take a look at what was the time of an athlete on a climb at the Tour de France, for example, how many watts were they putting out? What was their heart rate? Same thing with your friend who, you know, might've gone and run the Boston Marathon, the London Marathon, whatever the case may be. The thing that strikes me about Strava as a user is that it's part social network and part competition. Calling it gamification doesn't really feel right. There are dudes in my neighborhood that are constantly ragging on each other for besting each other on a neighborhood cycling segment. When you're thinking about telling the Strava story, what's the balance between being user-centric and you-centric? Because this new feature that might be you-centric actually might help me razz my buddies that follow me on Strava. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, different people are motivated and inspired by different things. And for some people, it might be competing with other people. It might be competing with themselves. It might be setting a goal. And I think that's part of what's really interesting and valuable about the Strava experience is whatever motivates or inspires you, you're going to find a way to achieve that and get what you need from the platform and from the community that you're connecting with through Strava. So as a, for example, you mentioned you and your buddies, you're razzing each other, you know, you can do that through comments on Strava, you can support each other. And razzing, of course, is a way in which people sometimes support each other when they're close friends. But in addition to that, being able to go out and asynchronously compete on the over 30 million segments on Strava and take a look at like, hey, how does my time compare to the time of someone else who's done this before? Where am I on the leaderboard? If you have a Strava subscription, you have the ability to compare your time to everyone who's ever competed on a leaderboard. I personally find that to be highly motivating during different phases of my athletic life. I used to be really into bike racing and a variety of different disciplines. I think what was most outstanding about my competitive cycling career was how mediocre I was. But you know, now I'm a dad, I've got two kids. Some days, yesterday, I uploaded an activity that was five minutes because I bought a new 50 pound medicine ball and decided to throw it over my shoulder for five minutes straight. And you know, that's where I'm at today. That's the story of my athletic life. I put that up, my friends saw it, they supported me, they gave me kudos, they gave me some comments. At other times and in other phases of competition, you or you know any of the 93 million athletes on Strava might want to go out and compete on segments. They might want to use features like local legends. So I think it's really going to going to vary depending on where someone is at and what they want to get at that moment in time. Just to double click in here for, for one second. So can we define segment? It, it's literally like 
an area in your neighborhood, for example, that someone might run or cycle or something like that, and that gets tracked, and another individual can also do that identical track. Is that is that right? Is that how you would define segment? Yeah. So a segment enables you to see how you stack up against all past efforts and against friends on your favorite portions of roads or trails. As I said, there are over 30 million segments that exist both out there in the world and inside of virtual worlds like Zwift and other virtual platforms. And yeah, so, you know, if you have a section of road where you go run all the time, chances are that there's a Strava segment that exists so that you could check out, Hey, like what's my best time on this segment? What's my friend's best time? Or if you wanted to create a new one, you have the ability to do that as well. And then going forward, other people will be able to use it for the same purpose. If you could identify the persona, like why does someone first sign up? Is it for the competition? Is it for the inspiration? Like in general, obviously there's different use cases, but in general, if you could identify the single sort of, here's why someone joins the Strava community, what, what would that be? Yeah, I would say probably the common denominator is a love of sport and that people are out there, they're sweating, they're active, and they really just want to get the most out of their athletic experience. And they crave community. I mean, if we've seen anything during the pandemic, it's how much people crave connection with other humans and for people to be able to get together around an area of their life that they love so much, like the sports that they participate in and to be able to share their activities and compare them with each other and share motivation and inspiration. That's really what draws people to the platform. And I think what happens over time is they just get more and more out of Strava. They become subscribers. They find all of the different ways that they can get motivation and inspiration and go deeper into their love of their sport. Just as a, for example, as we know, one of probably like one of the most challenging problems in just like fitness generally is how do you keep people moving? And a lot of people who are on Strava they're, they're highly intrinsically motivated. Other people are extrinsically motivated, but Strava subscribers who set a goal are still active 10 months later. So setting a goal or every day going into Strava, memorializing what you're doing, sharing it with other people so they can witness your effort and say, Hey, I, I see you. I see you out there going on that run, Brian. I know that you got up this morning and even though it was cold, like you went out and ran a mile or like you went for a walk, you went for a hike, whatever the case may be. That's what keeps people sticking around. It's like, it's the magic of the community because people keep people active. And Strava is a place where every effort counts. So whatever you're doing and whatever phase of your athletic life, Strava is a place where every effort counts. When we connected beforehand, you mentioned that there's a formula to pitching the media. So, okay. So what's the formula, but maybe more specifically, is the formula different if you're a CPG company or a B2B SaaS company, how does this change? Or is it sort of like, here's foundationally what needs to happen? Yeah, Brian. So to loop back and connect this to a question that you asked earlier, it starts with having a really solid foundational narrative and having a very deep understanding of who you are as a company, who you are in relation to the world and having a simple and effective way to communicate about who you are and what you do. So it starts with that. And once you have that dialed in, then it's thinking about how you can be of service to the media. 
And of course, when you're working with media, there's something that you want to get out of working with media. You want to get coverage, but it's called earned media. Like when you're working with press, it's called earned media because you have to earn it. And in order to earn it, you have to be doing something that is novel, that's interesting. It has to be of service to the reporter you're working with, to the editor they're going to work with, and to the readership of that outlet. So if you're doing something that's in any way self-serving or comes across as trying to do something that could be perceived as advertorial, that's not what journalists are there to do. They're not typists uh, way, waiting for companies to show up with a press release so that they can just like turn around and write exactly what you said. So it's really thinking about what is the intersection of what your company is doing that is uniquely valuable and additive for the readership of an outlet that intersects with a moment in time in the world where there are certain cultural or societal trends that are of very high interest to the average person or the average reader of an outlet. So when you align all of those things and then bring into the mix some really interesting stories from your community that validate whatever point it is you're trying to make, and if you can couple that with unique data insights that only you have, that can be a really winning formula. And that's whether you're a CPG company, you know, a, a company that's going to become the next great sports brand of the 21st century, or, you know, whatever you're doing, like that's, that's a pretty solid approach for working with press. I'll get you out on this question when you are not doing Strava related pitching of the media and I guess throwing medicine balls over your head. You host a podcast called The Hard Way, and it's a podcast exploring individuals pushing themselves to their limits. So firstly, of course, please talk about the podcast a little bit because it's excellent and everyone who's listening to this should listen to that. But I'm also curious what role audio has played in telling some of these stories. How has it informed the nature of the content? And you know, without visuals, does it inform how the audience might receive the story? Yeah, for sure. I personally have been listening to audiobooks and podcasts, well, podcasts, I think since they started. And I used to go to the library. I lived in LA for a long time. I go to the central library. I would check out the maximum number of audiobooks I could get that were on CDs at the time. Then I'd put them all onto my iTunes and then I'd take them back because I love consuming audio, particularly as somebody who has loves to be active in the time that I'm active. I also love to learn. And Audio is a great way to do that, and you don't have to be looking at a screen. So I think that's a, a big advantage of the medium. We do live in a very screen-centric world. There are podcasts that have awesome video accompanying the podcast. Equally, a lot of people value having time away from the screen. They want to put the phone down and go sweat. And if they can listen and learn while they're doing it, I think that's really the power of audio-based mediums. As far as my podcast goes... It's called Choose the Hard Way, and it's based on the idea that you are what you overcome. I didn't mention this, but my first career was as a journalist. I was a freelance journalist for over a decade, and the red thread in my work, which showed up in places like Rolling Stone, the LA Times, the LA Times Magazine, Outside Magazine, Slate, and many, many other places, was I wrote about people, places, and things at the limits of human experience. And as I transitioned into working for brands, I went to TRX, the head of content there, which also encompassed communications. And then, of course, I went to Strava. And 
what's always been really interesting to me is like what motivates the world's highest performers, but also what do they have to overcome to be who they are? And part of what I've learned over time, and this is what I really zoom in on in my podcast, is that the world's highest performers across all disciplines, they face the same problems and obstacles as everyone else. They just metabolize failure in a different way, and they tend to do it faster over time. So they get just as discouraged, they go just as low and sometimes even lower than the average person might, but they find a way to navigate that, to use those challenges, to practice their skills, to hone them in, knowing that they're heading towards something bigger and they always have their eye on that bigger thing. And whatever happens, they find a way to get back up and move forward. And I find that to be fascinating. So those are the stories that I like to tell in my podcast. That's really the aspect of journalism I miss the most. I have tremendous respect for journalists. It's an incredibly challenging profession and a very fulfilling and rewarding one. But so much of what I did during my career, whether I was hanging out with Daft Punk and Kanye West and writing about them or doing something else, there was so much that happened when I would go to report a story that just couldn't end up in the story. And it was all of those moments that I wanted to dig into deeper. And that's what I do on my podcast. Just to sort of editorialize what you just said, because I think there's a really important lesson here for people who are thinking about creating their own podcast. Sometimes you listen to a podcast and it doesn't matter how charismatic or charming the host is or how captivating the guest is. You don't really know what the show's about. Right. And what you just described here is a real through line across your episodes and it allows you to talk to someone who's doing quantum physics, someone who's a musician, someone who's training for an Ironman. It's all about sort of that, that question of going to the limits and understanding failure and, and channeling that into that next success. And I think for organizations, brands, individuals who are trying to figure out the podcasting landscape, this is a really, really important lesson. And honing in on this before you start figuring out who your guest list is, is the most important part. So Andrew, thank you for, for sharing that wisdom and for being here today with us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. Love your show and looking forward to hearing many more in the future.